Hi, I'm Gareth Kane. Welcome to the Net Zero Business Podcast. Okay, today we're talking to Alex Roberts, who's Head of Sustainability at This Street Group, which includes the brands Bovis Homes, Linden Homes and Countryside Partnerships. He's been working in sustainability and construction stroke housing for over a decade. And obviously, this is a, a critical area for sustainability, because if you look at your personal carbon footprint in the UK, your home represents somewhere about 22% of it. So it is a, a very significant uh, sustainability issue. So Thanks for joining us, Alex. Yeah, thanks, Gareth. It's great to be here. Yeah. So if we could start at the beginning and if you could uh, let us know how and why you first became involved in sustainability. Yeah, sure. So so back in my teenage years, 15 or 16, uh, made my first ventures out into the the French Alps, uh, skiing, snowboarding, hiking, riding bikes. Uh, And it was really there where... You know, I heard stories from mountain guides, people who lived in in those environments about how the weather patterns had changed. Uh, I spent times on the glaciers. Uh, I'd seen the impacts of climate change firsthand around how the the glaciers were rapidly retreating. And uh, yeah, it it made me want to do something about it. Uh, If I'm honest, purely for selfish reasons, at at that age, I wanted to safeguard the future of uh, snowboarding for myself. (laughs) but like, that, that was in hindsight, that was naive, um, perhaps for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, you know, how can one person change the world? Uh, and secondly, to think that when I sort of got into my late thirties, I'd still have the time, um, to actually go and spend time skiing or snowboarding was, uh, was naive as well. But like, here I am, um, you know, a decade or, or, or so on, uh, two young children and then perhaps my purpose around sustainability sort of shifted. Um, it's now more focused on them and you know, the part that I can play in, in creating a better future uh, for, for my kids. So how did that interest from snowboarding translate into your career? Yeah. So it, it led on to a, a university degree uh, in, in geography initially, um, which I think is a great subject as an introduction to sustainability really teaches that systems thinking um, and, and how different, different, uh, Sort of issues sort of were interconnected and um, then i i sort of focused down on a, a master's in environmental policy and management and then actually a, a, another part-time master's in sustainable construction um yeah and, and that led to to my, my first roles in in the sort of sustainability field uh, spent some time working for the regulator environment agency natural england uh, before moving to a, a housing association uh, in, in a, sort of my first or sort of graduate sustainability role yeah so the construction uh, interest was that just an opportunity that presented itself to you, and you thought this would be interesting, or was it was, yeah. was it a deliberate move into construction? It was completely by chance, actually. It was completely by chance. I, I, I've got to stop saying this because I've been working in, in the built environment for for more than a decade now. But I feel like a sustainability professional that just happens to work in the built environment. Yeah, um, and, and actually, I think that the skills of a, a sustainability professional shouldn't be constrained or aren't constrained to to, to one sector uh you know what we do can be lifted up and it can be applied to to any sector i think and how have you find that's changed over time between your first uh job in uh, the housing um, association up to working at vistry yeah it, it's changed significantly actually um when i first started out 
you know, if you're at a dinner party or something and someone asks you, you know, what do you do? And I mean, it always frustrates me on one point that people define themselves by what their job is when they want to introduce themselves. Um, but when, they, when you get asked the inevitable question of what do you do, your family work in sustainability, it was almost a bit of a conversation stopper, to be honest. <laughs> but that, that's notably shifted now. Um, yeah. People get it. They understand what you do, why you do it. Quite often they've got a personal connection or a link um, to sustainability or an interest as well. Uh, so, yeah, it shifted quite radically, uh, actually. Um, but I think that was certainly a challenge there when I first started out in my career. Uh, as, as a relatively you know, relatively new profession, it was difficult to, to look at others who had sort of succeeded or spent a career working in sustainability to try and model them. Uh, you know, back then, people in sustain- senior sustainability roles had come from all different manner of backgrounds. So th- mm. there was never a really sort of well-trodden path of how to progress in the sustainability career. You sort of had to find your way through and sort of make it up as, as you went along, really. So then, you know, coming up to the, the current, the present day, um, what are the drivers on Vistry to engage with su- sustainability? Yeah, g- great question. So, and very timely question as well, actually. So so Vistry have... Uh, just embarked on a new strategy. So the focus of the group now is really on mixed tenure development. So whilst we still have open market sales through through our you know our brands at Bovis, Linden Homes, and Countryside Homes, uh, we predominantly we do a work in partnership with local authorities, housing associations, and those partners, those clients. You know, increasingly, so they want a sustainable product. Um, so there, there's a, a real driver coming. From them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, much of that work comes through competitive tenders as well. There are, are questions asked around sustainability performance and the sustainability of the product that we can deliver, and um, yeah, that's a real driver for us. And it it, it puts Vistra in quite a unique position in the sector, actually, um, because we can work in partnership with our clients to deliver you know, more sustainable, higher energy performing homes, and then we can take the learning from that work and, and and then translate it to the the, the open market homes uh, that we'll have on sale and then preparing for the future home standard legislation that's expected in, in 2025. Uh, so yeah. there is a, a kind of trickle down effect from these um sort of client driven sustainability projects down to down to the open market over time. Uh, absolutely. So so our clients pay us to deliver um you know, a higher energy performing home. So, you know, we're delivering, we're already delivering hundreds of of homes uh, that are in terms of their regulated energy. So uh, the heating and the lighting, uh, a, a net zero carbon for, for that aspect of, of, of the home. Uh, so we're, build, we're already building hundreds of those. We've got people living in them. Uh, and it's a really important uh, preparation for us to, to deliver these homes, uh, you know, at some scale to help us prepare for, you know, forthcoming legislation, a future home standard in 2025, where we um, expect to no longer be using gas boilers in homes. Uh, and it just means that we can we can learn how to deliver these homes at scale, um, ready ready for when that legislation comes in, into force. I suppose that's like the, you know, the car industry where, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when electric windows was a, a premium feature on a car and now it's normal and these uh, sort of premium features become normal over time. Um, you, so obviously you've got a very strong customer focus. Are there other stakeholders in play then for Vistry? 
Absolutely. Uh, our, our people. Uh, so we, we recently carried out a, a double materiality assessment, actually. So uh, we, we carried out uh, some really extensive stakeholder engagement surveys, uh, interviews to try and understand um, the expectations of all of, the, all of our stakeholder groups in terms of sustainability. Uh, you know, and the, our people, you know, they want to work for a responsible company. So we have uh, a changing expectation from people. Uh, both people who already work, work for us, but also you know, an important part of, of recruitment as well. Young people entering uh, the workplace, they want to work for uh, a responsible company. They want to have a sense of purpose with their work. Um, so it's an important important driver there as well. Uh, we're, we're a FTSE 250 company. We're owned by our investors. There's been a radical shift from them as well in terms of the expectations they have around uh, sustainability um, and th- th- that does present a challenge there are a number of uh, sort of different ways that investors will sort of uh, look to understand our sustainability performance so there's, there's a, quite a burden on us in terms of reporting and uh, and responding to some of those those requests and for various different sort of sustainability indices that exist um, mm. you know it, there's a lot of talk out there amongst the, the sustainability profession around the need for uh, fewer of those are more consistent <laughs> um, because otherwise we spend yeah. our we spend our time telling people what we've already done rather than actually getting on um, yeah. and doing it yeah i've uh, a client who tells me that it's about 50 percent of their time is responding either to a cdp and other indices that you're talking about or um you know uh, customer uh questionnaires and everything else and um they're having the same conversation that yeah. A more streamlined uh, set of uh, sort of information exchanges might give them a lot more time to do stuff. Absolutely. And yeah. streamline is the key because they're, they're a really important part of this 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 change process, right? Yeah. But um, there's just too many of them at the moment. So that, that streamlined approach is what, what we need. So those three stakeholders that you've, groups of stakeholders, I should say, that you've mentioned, customers, uh, your employees and investors, um is it are they can you sort of uh, satisfy all them with the same sustainability efforts or do you have to tailor it to the three different groups are there any conflicts i suppose as well between the, the expectations of those three different groups yeah th- look, th- of course there are there are conflicts and um you know an obvious one is the fact that uh, at times some of the sustainability initiatives that we want to pursue cost more money, and that becomes particularly challenging yeah. at a time of uh, you know price inflation for materials, uh, you know, etc. Com- competitiveness around the, the price point that we can deliver a home for. Um, so, so there is that there is that competing tension, of course. One thing that we've done to try and mitigate that is to is to bake sustainability targets into uh, remuneration. So. Um, Colleagues across the group who have a bonus as part of their their remuneration package, there's a sustainability target attached to that. Yeah, uh, we've also just arranged a, a sustainability link loan, revolving credit facility with sustain, three sustainability performance targets attached to that, and and that really gives us a sense of focus as well. So when there are these external challenges that, that inevitably happen um, out there in you know in the economy in the marketplace. Uh, we still have this focus uh, of these targets that are sort of baked into to, to what we do. So um, perhaps you could expand how the link loan element works. 
Yeah, so so the sustainability link loan has three sustainability performance uh, targets attached to it. Uh, one of those is linked to reduction in our scope one and scope two carbon emissions. Absolute yeah. reduction is linked to science-based targets. Uh, there's another target we have. Uh, so at Vistra, we have on-site skills academies where we, um, on our large developments, we set up a skills academy. We encourage people who are new to the industry to come on, learn some construction skills, and, and hopefully then create an opportunity for them to enter the the industry. Uh, and we also have a target around the delivery of affordable homes beyond policy compliance. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're aiming to year on year deliver more and more affordable homes uh, to help tackle the you know the, the housing crisis that, that we face in the country. And um, so those three targets that are agreed uh, agreed with with our lenders uh, give us a sort of a slight, slightly preferential interest rate, um, and uh, we, we report back to to the lenders each year on a performance against those targets. Right, fantastic. And you were mentioning science based targets. Um, you have a, a net z overall net zero target underpinned by those science based targets. Perhaps you could. We do. So, so yeah, so the Vistra Group's gone through a lot of change over the last couple of years. So we, we've actually had to go back to science-based targets initiative and, and re-baseline and reset our targets because we, we've, um, we're have we in a large group following the, the combination with Countryside. Um, but within that, that resubmission, we've included a, a net zero carbon target. Yeah. Uh, so that's for 2040. Uh, and then we also have some near-term targets as well for 2030 around scope one and scope two emissions and uh, also uh, scope three uh, as well. Yes. I think most people watching this will know the difference between the three, but scope one's on-site, sort of within the, the factory fence, scope two's electricity, scope three's everything outside the organization, including supply chain and, and product. So um, so does uh, what does the net zero target, how much of uh, does that cover just out of interest? Yes, yeah, so, so scope one, scope two, and scope three for, for, for net zero. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so in terms of actually what this targets are, we've got a forty-two percent reduction in scope one and scope two emissions by twenty thirty. Yeah, that's against the twenty twenty-two baseline, and that's absolute emissions as well. So that's a real challenge for us. So, as a business that has you know, growth ambitions. We have to decouple the growth of the business with uh, with our carbon emissions. So there, there's a real challenge there yes. uh, for us. Um, scope three is a 51.6% reduction, and that's per 100 meters squared of, of built product um, by 2030 against the 2022 baseline. Um, but it's important to acknowledge that the part that the legislation's pay, playing in these scope three reductions for us. So, um, our biggest source of scope three emissions at the moment is our the regulated energy, so the lighting, heat, uh, lighting and heating um, that, that that's used in our homes by the occupants when they're living in them. Yeah. Uh, and we we've seen in terms of building regulations, the part Al uplift recently that that's driven improvements there, and also the the forthcoming uh, anticipated future home standard in twenty twenty five that sort of really significantly reduces those emissions for us. Um, and I think perhaps one of the few sectors that actually uh, has quite a clear roadmap to, to, and legislation sort of driving us to to meet those emissions reductions. Um, but when we first set out on this journey, we were really scratching our heads around this sort of burden shift. So as, as we improve the efficiency of our homes, we would use more insulation, perhaps some solar panels, larger radiators, outsource heat pumps, a lot more technology. So actually there was this burden shift from operational energy to embodied carbon yeah um, but then recently following the the combination that fisher group had with countryside uh, 
we now have three factories. Uh, we have a an ambition to predominantly build new homes uh, through timber frame construction offsite. And then we can start seeing how we significantly reduce our embodied carbon as well. Um, yeah. So we have we, have, we each have a quite clear sight and quite clear confidence as to how, how those targets are going to come to life um, at Overstreet. Fantastic. You mentioned challenges. You mentioned it was a big challenge uh, with the uh, the organ the company expanding. You know, uh, driving down absolute emissions. Um, what are generally you know day to day what um, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> what are the challenges you face uh, in delivering all this? Yeah, what keeps me awake at night? Um, but one of the biggest challenges is. And I'm sure many sustainability professionals who, who might watch this can can relate. Right, often we're we're quite small teams within the group centre of, of mm-hmm. you know, if you're in a large organisation, you know, like Vistra, we've got five thousand people that work for us. We've got a, a small team that that wants and needs to have all of those five thousand people understand how they can play a part in this sustainability journey. Uh, we need to communicate with them. We need to inspire them we need to give them the the skills the knowledge the understanding the tools and the resources to help help us on this sustainability journey um so that's a, a significant challenge for a for a small team right to engage with that many people um, but then we start looking outside of history and we start considering what happens on our sites and perhaps another twenty thousand people of, of supply chain um who, who we need to engage with as well and also bring them on this journey um yeah so it's uh it's a really big communications and engagement challenge to to, to get all of those people um, on message and, and playing their part. Oh, fantastic. And obviously you've got on in the construction industry a constantly changing um, cast of characters on site as each trade comes and goes, subcontractors, some subcontractors, et cetera. Um, how do you manage that? Yeah, so so we work with the Supply Chain Sustainability School, as do many of our peers. Um, so all of our supply chain subcontractors that work with us have access to the school, uh, phenomenal training resource, um, tools like gap analysis to understand how they can start building their own sustainability strategies. Um, and really for us as a sector, uh, that collaboration and that consistency of expectation is, is significant, uh, a significant opportunity, I think. Um, but also, you'll, we'll still we'll see this trickle down effect, right? Many of us have have, have, have set science based targets, uh, particularly with scope three. Once we start to look uh, look towards our, our biggest impact areas around materials, you know, we start to look to our supply chain. So we've already started to have questions with some of our our largest suppliers around their science based targets, and of course, then they have a discussion with their suppliers about their science based targets, and and um, you can really start to see how. Uh, the sort of expectation starts to trickle trickle through the supply chain but we you know we want to be there to support to support our supply chain on this journey as well as much as we can yeah you mentioned peers that um is it ever an issue or or is it clear-cut when you sort of collaborate and work together on things like right let's uh improve the the quality of the supply chain in terms of sustainability for everyone um but then going back to the competitive nature where you're uh, trying to outdo your peers to get a, a particular um, contract when there's a, a significant sustainability requirement. Is there any ever any conflict between that or does it tend to, to work itself out? Yeah, I, I think it tends to work itself out. Yeah, there, there is certainly, uh, particularly between the sustainability uh, teams, uh, 
some healthy collaboration for sure. You know, we're working on the same challenges and there's, there's no winners and losers in this, right? We, we either all win or we all lose. So um, we, we, we've got to work together on this. And, and that's really where the, you know, where, where the sort of regulation helps as well there to create that level playing field for us. Um, and the future home standards are a really important part of that to, to help the whole sector um, decarbonize. Uh, and, you know, Vistry, you know, because of the work we do with our partners, because of the scale that we're already building some of these homes out, you know, hundreds of these already each year with people living in them. Um, we're very open about sharing our, our learning and our experiences. We've got case studies available online for others, um, you know, to, to learn from, from our experiences. Um, and of course we'd want to go faster. Um, but it's, it's, it's important to recognize what a radical shift this is for a yeah. sector that hasn't changed very much at all in a very long time yeah. um, so there's a lot of change to, that's required there's a lot of upskilling that needs to happen there's a big skills gap in terms of group in terms of green skills you know the installation of air source heat pumps the availability of air source heat pumps we're going to need a lot of those um yeah. installers over the next few years um so it's so really that that gearing up in, in terms of being ready for 2025 is um it's vital for us to collaborate and to be open and to share on our experiences there mm-hmm Fantastic. So, um, modesty aside, what what are your proudest achievements, either at Vistry or uh, or at any other part in your career? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll focus on career because you know the obvious answer is your, your kids, right? When you do when <laughs> what, what, what you're proud of. Um, but but for me, uh, it, it's probably resilience. Actually, the resilience that that I've I've had over the last decade or so. Um, it can be, it feel a little bit like walking through treacle sometimes, I think, working in sustainability. Um, you, you're trying to change the status quo and that's a difficult thing to, to do. Um, often people don't want to change. Um, yeah. And yeah, the resilience to keep on going. Uh, you know, in a profession where daily we're bombarded by bad news, right? And you know, yeah. time's running out. We haven't done this quick enough. We haven't done that fast enough. Uh, you know, all of the doom and gloom that can be associated with climate change and biodiversity loss. Uh, it could be, it could be draining. Um, but I think it's important to reflect on the progress we have made. You know, we yeah. talked at the start around, you know, my, my early, at the early stages of my career in sustainability where people didn't really understand what it was that I did and how that's changed the, the number of young people that want to come into this industry. The fact that, you know, I work at a large PLC, sustainability is, talked about at the highest level uh, throughout the whole organization but at the highest level as well through our sustainability committee and plc boards our executive boards sustainability's uh firmly up there as a as a discussion point and let's be honest it wasn't a few years ago yeah um, and that's 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 a significant shift um you know I, I, the, the sector's got a lot of work to do uh to 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 become more sustainable to to mitigate biodiversity loss and and uh, decarbonize the homes that we build, but we we can see how that's going to happen through. Uh, let's be honest, the legislation's coming. It's we've got the the biodiversity net gain regulations next year. We, we've got the future home standard. Yeah, um, we can we 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 can see how um, how these these things are there to to play their part in transforming the sector. Yes, yes, um, and. You were talking about, you know, new people wanting to come in to the sustainability field. If you were talking to 
um, say university student who was interested in in joining the construction industry to do sustainability, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, well, firstly, it's an incredibly broad subject, right? So particularly, particularly within the construction sector, you, you could be a sustainability specialist in a certain area. You, you, know, mm. you could be very technically focused or you could you could be a more of a generalist like, like I am in my role. And certainly in the generalist role, um, perhaps when I first started out in my career, I thought I had to have all of the answers. Yeah. Uh, that's incredibly difficult, particularly for sustainability. It's such a broad topic that touches many areas. It's so... Uh, rapidly evolving it's difficult to keep up um so i i think that the, the key thing would be to acknowledge you don't have to have all of the answers um i, I often see my myself as a bit of a facilitator yeah. I, I i i perhaps go and i pull the experts into the room uh you know light the match and and get them to tell me the solution to, to the problems yeah. using their expertise rather than um expecting to have all of the answers myself Yes. Well, I can relate to that because I went from trying to know it all when you can't. There, there really is no such thing as a sustainability expert to facilitating, partly because um, people working in the industry, in their industry, know their industry better than I ever will. Uh, secondly, because really make sustainability happen you need it to be out there and not in your little sustainability silo but probably the main reason i find i um i, I don't know if you, you you will agree to this is that if somebody comes up with a sustainability idea themselves they are far more likely to pick it up the ball and run with it than if i tell them to do it so um, I suppose a lot of my career is trying to persuade people they've had good ideas when, with a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, totally agree. So is that is that facilitator role? Is that um, do you find people are receptive to you, uh, sort of almost throwing the ball back into their court rather than sort of them being able to say that's a sustainability issue. Let's throw it at the sustainability department and uh, let them get on with it. Yeah. Uh, they're absolutely receptive and it's like, it, it's, it's the only way, right? Yeah. We're, we're a huge organization doing a, a humongous uh, variety of, of different tasks and yeah, I, I don't have the answers, um, but I can help other people draw them out. You know, I can help draw them out of other people. Um, but what, one thing I like to do as well, though, particularly in those sorts of sessions, is try and you know make, make this emotional link to, to sustainability for people. Um, whatever it's probably different for everyone. Um, but, you know, one thing I like to do there's a couple of videos I like to play that you know they sort of pull on the heartstrings a little bit. Um, we then sort of throw some picture cards out onto the desk and ask people to to pick a card use it to how they're feeling after watching the video and you get a really broad range of responses from you know the optimistic to the, the pessimistic to the uh, those with solutions and it's really interesting to see how everyone connects with this issue uh differently mm -hmm. and it's important to to acknowledge that i think like particularly professionally ev everyone's going to have a different hook um yeah. and as a sustainability professional it's, it, it's our job to understand you know how, how we can sort of add value and help them achieve what they're trying to in in, in their role yeah because ultimately the the place we find ourselves in now is we're, we're 
we've all got sustainability jobs, right? It's not just the sustainability team. Every single person, certainly in history now, needs to have a sustainability job. That's the only way we're going to you know, radically change this um, this organisation in this industry to, to be more sustainable. Right. Well, that's um, I think that's a fantastic note uh, to finish up on. Um, but, you know, it's it can't be a, a sustainability silo working on its own. We have to engage people and get everybody thinking along the lines and changing the way they do their job. So um, thank you very much, Alex, uh, for taking part. Um, and, you know, I think there's a, an absolute wealth of insights there that I hope all our viewers will um, will learn a lot from. So thank you very much again. Yeah, cheers, Gareth. If you find this episode of the podcast interesting, please do me two wee favours. First of all, give it a five-star rating to help others find it as well. And secondly, subscribe via your usual podcast provider so you'll get every episode into the future. Until next time, goodbye.